just stay standing with me. Let's pray this morning. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just thank him. If you don't know what else to say, just thank him. Thank you, Jesus. My Father, our Father, our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who's in heaven today, ruling and reigning over all things by the word of his power. Our Father, hallowed, holy, holy, holy is your name. Jesus, we thank you that at that name every knee must bow and tongue confess. You are the Lord of all, the creator of all things. Hallelujah. You're the everlasting, the eternal Father. Jesus, we magnify you. Jesus, we magnify you. Give us ears to hear today what your spirit is saying. Lord, change our lives today. We don't want to ever leave here the same way that we came, Lord. Open our hearts, Lord, to receive your word. Let it go deep in our hearts today. Change our life. Produce much fruit today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can be seated this morning if you can. If not, we'll, you can lay down. You can stand in the bag. You know, I don't Let me see your Bibles this morning. How many of you got your Bibles? Let me see your device, your Bibles, what you're using. Amen. It's good to see the word of the Lord. James, I was reminded this morning, James 1.17 says that every good, everybody say that with me, every good, every perfect, every good and every perfect gift comes from who? The Father of lights, with whom there's no shadow of turning. I love that. There is... No shadow, there's no change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? I'm thankful. You know, I, I, I was praying it, but our Father, who art in heaven, our Father, holy, hallowed, set apart is your name, our Father. We have a Father today who's not disconnected with our concerns and our needs, but he knows everything this morning that you have need of. He, ha he has full awareness of every detail of your life, every, every element of your story, he knows. And he's writing the story. I want you to hear me this morning. He's writing the story of your life. He knows every aspect, every detail. There's not one thing that goes missed by our Father this morning. You know, it's funny, um, you know, our kids, I'm sure all of you have parented, you know, the kids, you'll see your kids doing something or, you know, you'll catch something and out of the corner of your eye, or you just have a suspicion, and you catch your kids in the middle, and you're like, did you say, or did you do, and what did they say, how'd you know I did that, right, how'd you know, you got eyes in the back of your head, and then there's some things you miss, and you're like, man, I, I wish I really wouldn't have missed that one, like, you know, the other day, is just a crazy story, and I'll tell on myself, I was, I was upstairs, and the kids were downstairs, and I came downstairs, and I, I wasn't up there long, but I, it was long enough for Asher, our two-year-old, or is going to be two, to get into the cabinet under the sink and find our dishwasher pods. And uh, I came down. How many of you know those things are dangerous? <laughs> and I go in the living room and there's this, I know, there's this uh, little bit of remains telling me that that Asher had, had tasted and seen that those were not good. And, uh, you know, so there's the foil wrapper and then the remains of the evidence. And 
you know, of course, as dad, you go into freak out mode. Like, what is this going to cause? What's going to happen? You're praying over the, you're going to be okay, child, by faith. You know, Jesus has got this. We're good. There's nothing that's going to harm you. There's no, you know, you, <laughs> all of it, you know, just standing on the word. And then call poison control. What are we doing? You know, all those fun things. So there's things as parents, as earthly parents that we miss, right? We, and we, we look back, but our father knows it all. He knows every detail and he's he's concerned and he's involved father of heavenly lights where there's no shadow no turning he's always perfect he's never changing and he's what does it do he says every good and perfect gift every good and perfect gift reminds me when jesus you know heather heather taught this verse last week i'll get to my notes here in a moment but uh but it but it takes me back to the verse where Jesus said, um, if you being evil, you know, your fathers, if, you're, if your child asked you for bread, would you give him a stone? Would you give him a scorpion or a serpent? No. But if you being evil know how to, how to give good gifts, how much more is your father in heaven able to give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? I mean, man, it doesn't get any better than that. If, you're, if you need something from your father today, if you're looking for Maybe you're looking for joy. Maybe you're looking for peace. Maybe you're, you know, like one of our kids comes running in. Daddy, what would you get me today where you were at? You know, if you need a present from Daddy, you know, the good gift to get today is more of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> That's a good thing to get. Just receive. You know, he's got all that you need today. Just receive from your Father. If you have your Bibles, I, I'm going to ask you to go to Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and I just want to dig around a little bit in Ephesians chapter 5 and teach a little bit on the role of, of the man. And if you're a woman in the house, that doesn't mean you can tune out because the Word of God has something for you this morning as well. But the title of my message this morning is, Adam, where are you? So I want you to just keep in the back of your mind, how many of you remember in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, where, Jesus, where, where Adam is in the garden and God shows up and asks, Adam, where are you? Keep that context, the garden, as, as kind of maybe the, the lingering backdrop for where we go today. But we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. And in verse 22, it says, wives, see, I told you it had something for everyone right here. It starts off, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, here we go, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Verse 30 is great too. I'll read it. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I want to just dig around a little bit here. You know, our modern world, our modern culture probably won't like what I'm about ready to share. So I want you to just already have that. What you've been taught in modern culture and society is not, is not biblical. Even in the church world, you'll hear a lot, of, uh, a lot about honor and submission and, and wives submitting to their husbands. 
husbands loving their wives, but it never goes much further than that. And, and there's, uh, Ephesians has a little bit more to say about it than just that. So I want to dive into this and, and understand this. We, we understand, I, I want to preface this, we understand what the negative side of this is. And that's really where our culture and the world around us focuses is the negative of, of what domination looks like and, and uh, control and the fear components. Well, and there's this fear in, in a lot of uh, places that, if, if I honor, if I submit, they have this idea that this world, our culture has this idea that submission means to be not dominated or controlled. And that's not the, that's not the biblical context. So I want to take a, a look at what the Bible says and really what the, the, the framework that the Bible gives us for that marriage and the, the husband, the man and the wife, the man and the woman's relationship that framework, this structure, actually releases you and I to be who God's called us and created us to be. Come on, don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. If, if, if we can understand this, it actually creates a space for you and I to live and to flourish in how God actually created us to be. And not only that, but it actually is mirrored and becomes the church. So when, you know, this is, I'll just take a 30,000 foot view here real quick. I, I know this is, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but when, when, the, when the marriage is disjointed, when, when the family unit in a church, when, when individual family units are disjointed and out of whack, it causes the church as a collaborative body to be out of whack. Because what happens in the marriage, what happens in the family, is a, it, there's a direct impact on what happens in the house of the Lord. Matter of fact, here Paul even talks about the church and the house of the Lord, the comparison between the church, the body of Christ, and the headship of Christ and our response to Christ as the body. So it's important. There's a, there's a word here that we start off with um, for the husband, verse 23, is the head of the wife. A lot of people have conflict with that word. I'm not quite sure why. Um, maybe maybe they take it out of context, but the word there is to be the leader, to be the leader of his wife. That Christ, in Ephesians 1.22, you see the same word that's used. In Ephesians 1.22, it says, Christ is above every name that is named, and God has put all things under his feet and made him the head or the leader over all things for the church. So there's a direct connection between how Christ leads his church and how the man ought to lead his home. Amen. And the Lord holds the man responsible for how he leads his home. He is, he is the leader of his home. He's the leader of his wife. And as Christ is the church and is responsible and accountable to God for that. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, it says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So we know that, that the, the man... The husband is held responsible by God for his home and for his family. So as we move into that understanding, you have to understand this, this principle that the man is the leader. Now, leader does not mean control. Okay, leadership doesn't mean, I'm going to go over and preach over to this section because I hear them. Leadership doesn't mean control. It doesn't mean that, that, as, a, that as a husband or as the man of your house, that you're micromanaging and controlling everything that your family does. That's not 
if we look at the picture that Christ gives us, he's not micromanic. Matter of fact, Christ will even allow us. How many of you have done something silly or stupid today already? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> right? And so he gives us the, the space. He, he tells us that we are to sin not, right? He tells us that we're to be holy as he is holy. But he gives us the space to walk that out and equips us with the Holy Ghost to do so. He doesn't micromanage and control us. He leads us and directs us. And so husbands, men of the house, understand that you're leading and directing, you're navigating for your family and and for your home, for your wife. There are four things that I want to take a look at today that the man ought to be leading in. I'll use the phrase that a man ought to be lion-hearted and lamb-like. And the leadership, uh, the man, the leadership of the home, lion-hearted, fierce, and determined, but lamb-like. Jesus was the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah that went out into battle and fought and protected and provided for, but he was also the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. Before the worlds were created, he was the lamb that was to be slain for you and I to become our sacrifice, but he's still the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. So this diverse quality, the diverse excellency of Christ ought to be also found in the men of God. To lead fearlessly, to lead with the with that that roar of Christ on the inside of you, but to lead humbly, willing to lay down your life as a sacrifice for your family. Four things that a man ought to lead in. Number one in his is his personal relationship with Christ. Leadership is more than just what you do, it's who you are. I'll say that again. Leadership is more than what you do, it's who you are. So if you're to lead your home and lead your family, it's going to originate in who you are in Christ. You have to know your identity in Christ. You have to have the the fruit of the Spirit operating in your life. You have to look like Jesus. That's who you're mirroring your life as. You're, you're looking unto Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. How do you know whether or not you're leading your family in the right direction? Look to, look to Jesus. Look to the author. Look to the captain of our salvation. That's what Paul's writing here in Ephesians, that we are to lead as Christ leads his church. And that originates in your relationship with him. You cannot abdicate your spiritual responsibility and expect to keep your leadership in your home. If you if you give up your spiritual headship, your spiritual leadership, your time with the Father, then it's going to affect how you lead your family. You know, a lot of times men will see their wives growing and changing and developing in the Lord. We all know that that women tend to have have a tendency to be more sensitive and aware and attuned to the voice of the Lord and, and, and tuned in and ready to serve and really ready to engage. By the way, men, that should not be the norm that, that we just allow the women to just... <laughs> women, that was your chance to shout me down. This is an, uh, the, the men ought to lead the way, but, but we know that, that the women oftentimes are... are sensitive and and attuned, but often when that happens, the tendency of the men is to, well, my wife's got this, she'll take the lead. 
I'll just hang back. I'm good. And what you find that happens is women will keep growing and pursuing the Lord while the men keep declining and dying. Come on now. That's not the intention of Christ in your home, in your family, in your life. The minute that you stop growing, you start dying. So you have to keep pressing, keep pushing on. And don't abdicate your spiritual leadership to your wife. God's called you to be the head of your home. In Ephesians 5, verse 24, it says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. There's, there's, a, there's a responsibility that both the husband and the wife have in their personal relationship with Christ. Each of them manifests differently. Each have responsibility. The, whim, the women, the wife, is to worship the Lord and pursue Christ. And out of that relationship with Christ flows submission and honor and co-laboring with her husband. Just as the, just as the church co-labors and honors and worships and adores Christ, the head of the church, so does the, the wife, her husband. And the husband is to, out of that personal relationship with the Lord, flow the leadership of Christ, flow the humility of Christ. Come on now. The spiritual leadership, that, that all originates out of your personal relationship with the Lord. Men, it's, it is absolutely, this is important for women as well, but especially for men, it's so important for you to find a place of silence and solitude. Men are always engaged, always doing, always going, but you have to take time to press the pause button and to get away from the multitudes. You have to press the pause button and get away from the, the screaming kids and the needs of your home and the leadership of your home, and you have to get away with your heavenly father. I want to I speak very plainly and, and very directly. And men, I want you to listen, listen to me and listen to me good. You may have not had a great spiritual example that demonstrates the importance of a personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. You may have not had a great example of someone demonstrating the pressing of the pause button to get away with the Lord. But there's no excuse. There's time, and the time is now to draw the line and say, as for me and my house, now's the time. I'm going to set a godly example. I'm going to live out of a personal relationship with Christ. I'm going to lead out of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And listen, maybe you haven't been doing that. Maybe that's not been what the norm is in your life, your home, your household, your marriage. It's okay to press the pause at home and say, you know what, this hasn't been our norm. This hasn't been how I've been leading. And so I repent. And as for me and us, and as we move forward, this is what we're going to do. Must come out of your personal time with the Lord. I know you're not shouting me down today, and I'm not hearing many men amen me today. But that's okay. I'm going to tell you the truth anyway because I love you. In John chapter 5 and verse 9, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. What was the secret of Jesus' leadership? What was the secret, if you will, of Jesus' Jesus's success as a leader? I can do nothing of myself. I only do what I see the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. So man, 
It's important for you to be a man of God, to be a man who sees what the Father does. You have to hear his voice. You have to take time to hear his voice. You have to take time to be led in the word of God. You have to hear for yourself. I love Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Jesus has been ministering. He's, he's launched out his ministry. Verse 35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus took time. Now listen, morning might not be your thing. I hate mornings. I feel like the devil is still roaming in the morning. I know that I know that's not the truth, but but as for me, that's just, you know, I'm not a morning person. So I have to find time in my day to press the pause button. And I know that yeah, my wife's like, "Yeah, where do you do that?" You know, there's a there's a full schedule. There's things happening, but you have to find space in your day to press the pause. It may it may be that you need a routine. Every morning at 7 a.m., 5 a.m., 4 a.m., whatever your time is, get up and you do your thing. It may be that there's a place you know that you're going to press pause in your day to just spend time with the Lord. But you need a solitary place. Every person needs a solitary place where you can go in silence and hear the voice of the Lord. You need to turn off your phone. Turn off your computer, put away all the distractions, and just be with the Lord. I'm convinced, let me say this, I'm convinced that most of the issues we see in marriages today, most of the conflicts, most of the issues that are coming up in marriage, could, in marriage problems today can be addressed if the man would just go to a solitary place. Can I just talk about that for a moment? I know you didn't like that, but I'm going to talk about it just for a moment. <laughs> I'm convinced most of the issue, and, and people, you know, how many times in, in the marriage counseling, you know, well, she just doesn't understand, she doesn't respect me, you know, we're not communicating right, all of the, it's common, right, the common to all issue. But what happens when the man gets away into a solitary place, there's an alignment that happens this way. There's an alignment, there's a communication alignment that goes with the Father. There's a respect alignment that goes with the Father. The man realizes their identity is not based on whether or not their wife said what they should have said in that morning at the breakfast table. Come on now. Because, I, hey, I am a fly on the wall in your home. I know exactly what happens. You get up in the morning, your wife looks at you cross-eyed, and you feel like your world just collapsed. And she didn't respect you and nothing's going to work the rest of your day. And you're fighting, you're in contention. Why is that? Because you haven't had your solitary time. You haven't had your moment of silence with the Father to realize who you are. Your identity is not from your wife. Christ did not approach the church and say to the church, can you give me your, my identity? I need to know who I am and the Father, can you tell? The, the church that... Religious people didn't assign to Jesus who his identity was. They tried to take it from him. They tried to stomp it out and quiet it. Man, if you're not careful, the world will try to quiet and to silence your identity. You have to have a solitary place where you're aligning with the Father. And then all of this 
will be handled. I promise you. Seek first the kingdom of God. You want a verse? And his righteousness and all these other things. So you got to get alone. you got to have a place of solitude. Turn off the distractions. If that means you got to go lock yourself in the bathroom for an hour, do it. <laughs> Never mind. I'll keep moving. Number two, you can laugh. It's okay. It's okay. You can laugh. The, the wives are laughing because they know, you know. Number two, man, you're supposed to lead the way in shaping your family's spiritual and moral values. In Psalms 23, by the way, a great chapter, a great passage of scripture for every man to read and to align with is the 23rd Psalm. It's a great picture of what leading your home should look like. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm a shepherd. As the husband, as the leader of my family, the leader of a business, the leader of a church, Psalms 23 is how you lead. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does it say? He leads me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So husbands, Men, we lead our families, we lead our church, we lead our businesses, we lead in paths of righteousness. When you're leading and people are following, what path are they going down? When you're leading your home, what path do you find yourself on? You know, how do you, how do you know when you're, when you're driving down the road and you're on the wrong road? Now, I know, you know, husbands, I'm, I'm touching something really sensitive here because when you're driving... The last thing you want is, is your, your navigator telling you you're going the wrong way and how to drive, where to go. I know you've been down the, I, I'm not trying to bring up some past hardship, some offense. That's not my, it's not what I'm trying to do here. But, but when you're going down that path, when you're going down the road and you start seeing signs along the way that tell you you're not on the right road. And then what do you do? You start blaming Siri or your whatever, your GPS, That's it, right? But you know that you're on the wrong road because you're seeing the signs along the way. What signs are you seeing in your family? What's the fruitfulness that's happening in your family? If there's contention and strife and there's always issues and turmoil, you have to press pause, men of God. You have to press pause and say, how am I leading? How am I leading? What path am I leading down? Am I leading on paths of righteousness or am I leading on paths of hurt and past failure and rejection and, and personal issues? What paths are you leading down? In Mark chapter 10, it was before the, this was, this was just a day or so before the triumphant entry. Jesus was getting ready to, to be crucified and go through his passion week. But in Mark chapter 10 and verse 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. He was leading the disciples. There was a crowd following him. And he was leading the crowd and his disciples. And he was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. They knew that Jesus had arrest warrants out. There were issues going on. The religious wanted him dead. And again, he took the twelve aside. And he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. This is an amazing verse about the leadership of Christ. He's leading. He's, he knows what's getting ready to happen to him. He knows in the coming week what's getting ready to transpire. And on the journey, 
he takes a moment to step aside and say to his disciples, this is what's happening. And this is what's, gonna, this is what's going to happen. They, they may have not fully understood or comprehended what Jesus was talking about. But he took a moment to just stop along the way and say, this is where we're headed and this is what's going on. Sometimes as we men get in our leadership, we just get on out ahead of the crowd and we're just blowing and going, we're moving, we're shaking, doing whatever it is that we're called to do. And you have, to, you have to remember there are people who are following you. There's a family that's following you. There's a wife who's following you. There, there are others around you who are watching your example. And it's important to sometimes just press pause and take a time out and say, this is what the Lord's doing. This is where we're going. This is what the Lord's saying. This is what's happening. And take time to just share about what God's doing in your life. To take time to talk about what the Lord's speaking to you, the challenges you're having. The disciples and those who were following Christ, the Bible says, they were fearful. They were uncertain of what was getting ready to happen. As leaders, men, as leaders, we have to be attuned to the needs of those around us. Sometimes people around us are going to experience emotion. They're going to experience the fear and the uncertainty and the anxieties. And it's important to press pause and recognize what's happening in your family. It's important to just stop, even if it's in the middle of the road, and just say, this is what's going on. How are you feeling? What's going on? What's God saying to you? What's he doing in you? have to be able to shape the spiritual and moral vision and direction for your family. This isn't, by the way, the culture's responsibility. This isn't an institution's responsibility. And can I, can I just take it a little further and say, it's not the church's responsibility. It's not Pastor Angie and the children's ministry team's job to teach your kids about the Bible. Their job is to reinforce what you're teaching at home. Amen. That'll change your world. It's not, it's not the church's job. It's not, and, it, and by the way, if you're allowing culture to shape the values and the morality of your children in your home, you're in trouble. Yeah. Things are only going to get worse. And I can assure you that your wife will appreciate that you know where you're going. You see, there's this, there's this funny thing, husbands, I'm going to give you a, a secret here. This is, this is one of those secrets I usually only reveal in marriage counseling. So this is a freebie that you get today, all the men and all the women just prepare to shout me down. Because this is going to be, you're going to love this. Women love security. I thought I was going to get a better shout than that. <laughs> Women love security. <laughs> and if they feel like the husband isn't leading and there's no there's nowhere they're going, they don't they're just wandering about aimlessly, right? There's insecurity. So man of God, listen, by you leading 
and having goals and talking about the direction that the Lord's taking your family and shaping that vision together with your, your family. As you do that, it doesn't mean you're controlling. It doesn't mean you're not taking control and saying, this is what we're going to do, and if you don't like it, you can move on. That's not biblical either. But as you, as the lead of your house, sit down and you talk to your family, and you begin to lead the conversation about what the Lord is doing in your family and what you value and what's important and what what do you want to teach your children and what direction you want to go, and you have those conversations, that's taking leadership in your home. That's biblical leadership. That's biblical leadership. And guess what? Your wife now knows you're not wandering around the mountain aimlessly. There's there's a direction. There's a path that you're on. You're following the Lord. You're following His voice. And it's important sometimes just for your wife to hear that you're following the Lord's voice. (laughs) Because sometimes your actions say different. Come on now, don't shout me down when I tell you the truth. I'm smiling really big because it's true, you know it's true. Right? You get angry, you get upset. Come on now. And the Lord's calling you and challenging a pyre today that you're going to take the spiritual leadership of your home and hear the voice of the Lord. And not only talk about the values and talk about what's important and create the spiritual environment, but you're going to live it out yourself. You're going to set the example. You're going to say that if, if the presence of the Lord is a priority in our house, then we're going to make room for his presence. If reading the word of the Lord is a priority in our house, then we're going to read the word of the Lord. If going to church is important, then you set the example. Come on. In John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I love that. I'm not... I'm leaving. I'm going away. He's preparing them for what's coming. And he says to them, I'm not leaving you as an orphan. Spiritual leadership is not leaving your children and your wife to figure it out on their own. He was present. He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's committed. Even when things get rough, even when you don't look like Jesus, he's still committed to you. Even when you don't sound like him, he's still committed. So, husband, you're committed to your family. And you communicate that. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm always with you. Even when things get rough, I'm not leaving you. I'm committed to you. We're going to work. You know, this word divorce has permeated our culture so horribly. And it, it, it has crept into the church. Well, we'll just get a divorce. This, it doesn't work. It gets rough. No, that's not the biblical example. That's not the example of Christ. And listen, if you've been through that journey, you've gone through that journey of divorce, I'll say that Christ brings healing and he brings restoration. And there's a future still for you just if you've gone down that path. But that's not our default. That's not our default. We lead the way in spiritual leadership. Thirdly, Men of God, you lead your family in spiritual disciplines. If it's important to you to have a home that's built on faith, if it's important to you to have a Christ-like family, then you've got to lead them in Christ-like living, Christ-like living. 
If you want Christ to be the center of your home and you want, the, you want Christ in your home, then you've got to lead, lead the example in Christ-like living. That means you go to church, you pray, you worship, you give, you read the word, and your family sees you do it. Your family watches your example as you give. Your family, I love it. You know, Zoe knows we're givers, and she wants to be a giver, so she gives. She, she asks. She now asks for her little offering envelope, writes her name on her offering envelope, and drops it in the offering box because she wants to be a giver. She loves reading the Bible. Last night she was reading her JBQ question book. She was going through all the junior Bible quiz questions. And so how annoying is it to have your child in the back seat on the way to a soccer game quoting all the quotation questions and you're like and Jonathan was like stop it I'm so tired of this and we're just riding down the road yes dear what is the theme of the four gospels (laughs) what are the four gospels quotation question (laughs) right and you're like oh my goodness when is this going to end but we want Right, But I want my kids to love the word, so I'm going to lead an example. So we read the Bible stories at night. We have their, have their Bible story books, and we read the Bible story books. I want them to know about Jesus. They pray. We, let them, we lead them in prayer. Let them pray. When they have a problem and there's an issue, we don't go to Facebook and tell the world about their problems and their issues. We go to Jesus. We pray right on the spot. We pray. Say, okay, we're going to pray about this. We have our worship on in the car. We worship. Our kids know that mom and dad worship. They know mom and dad pray in tongues. They, and they, they want to pray in tongues. Zoe mimics us praying in tongues. I don't know if she's baptized in the Holy Ghost yet or not, but she, she's trying, if not anything else. <laughs> I'm okay with it. She, she'll figure it out one day. It's awesome. Why is it? Because there's leadership in the home that says that this is what a Christ life is like looks like husband man of God you can do that you're called to do that notice when when Adam and Eve when when they had their sin in the garden and they hid God didn't show up and say Eve I saw you do that I was watching Eve where are you now what did he say Adam where are you Adam, where are you? The accountability for the home, for the family, fell on the man. It was his role, his responsibility before God to have accountability for his house. Now, does that mean that God didn't deal with with Eve? Well, first, let me back up and say, Adam's first response was to blame his wife. It's a great example that if this isn't right, this is not right, right? If, if you're not having solitude and time with the Lord and getting that right, then your relationship with your spouse is going to be off. You're going to start what's the default is always you're going to blame someone else. It's my kids or my wife. It's the default. It always is. Don't look spiritual. Like, I never do that. You do it. You do it. Maybe multiple times a day. If my kids would just be... If my husband would just, oh, I'm sorry. If my wife would just, I, I you know, I'm picking up. <laughs> right? 
right? And we, we, we do. We pass the blame. And, and, and really, we just got to pause and get this right and live right with the Father. And God, God keeps accountable the man for his family. It's also interesting to me, I've said this before, and I, I want to just highlight it, but who did God tell not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Adam. He didn't tell Eve. Matter of fact, Eve wasn't yet there yet. If you go back and read it, he told Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. It was later in Genesis 2 that we find Eve is created. The man had a responsibility not only to care for his family, but to entrust spiritual principles to his family. There was, there was a responsibility that God held the man to, to communicate the word of God to his wife. And she knew, he did, she told, I mean, we see that in, in, Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, she knew the story. She knew what they were supposed to do and not do. And that's a whole nother teaching, hanging out in a place of temptation. That's a whole, that's a whole nother, the life cycle of sin and how all that happens. But, but, but she knew. But Adam, because of his shame and guilt, notice the response of shame and guilt is to blame. Get the focus off of me. And that's what they did. Get the focus off. Get, God, I'm, it's not my fault. It's her fault. Don't look at me. Don't, in other words, don't look at my nakedness. Look at hers. But notice what happens when, what, what's, the, what's God's response? He had no obligation, he had no obligation to clothe them, to care for them. He could have said, I'm done, we tried. Angels, blow it up. <laughs> We're good. This isn't going to work. We're done. They all right we we are just a few days into this and they're already messing it up. <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> yeah. But that's not the father's response. He sacrifices blood for sin in that moment and becomes the first atonement, the first blood sacrifice. It was a shadow of what was to come, that Jesus had to be the ultimate sacrifice from, from day one, very beginning, and he clothed them. You see, there's a, if you're leading godly men, if you're leading by godly example, the example here is this that there ought to be a place in your home where your, your family, your wife, your kids, and understand what I'm going to say, can be naked and unashamed. That there's no place of shame or guilt. That when someone does something wrong, they're not criticized and beat up for it. The shame, is not, the shame is not held over their head. Well, I can't believe there's a place to call it out. God dealt with this sin. He called it out. And there were consequences to that sin. But the penalty, I want to fast forward, the penalty 
for sin was ultimately upon Christ. So if you're trans, there's consequences for sin. Understand me, there are consequences as a result of actions or inactions, things said, done, whatever in your family. I get that. But if you're constantly holding the penalty for that over someone, constantly holding the shame and the guilt and the penalty, that's not Christ. The penalty was taken to the cross. He was our propitiation. And if you're leading as Christ leads the church, then the penalty's got to stay at the cross. Number four, and I'm going to wrap up. And every man said, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Hey, this is helping you. I promise this is going to help your family. If you're listening, it will help you. Number four, the man leads in reconciliation. While we were still enemies, Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, everybody say that, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So husbands, if you're loving your wife as Christ loved the church, and you're loving your family as Christ loved the church, that means you have to lead the way in forgiveness. You have to lead the way in reconciling. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be offenses. There's going to be hardship. You're living with someone. There's going to be an offense. If someone has told you that marriage and having kids means there's never any trouble and it's always bliss and you have gotten the wrong message. It is too independent, stubborn, issue-filled, contrary people becoming one. There's never a merger without the giving up. There's never a merger without sacrifice. There's never a coming together in any instance without there being some sort of hardship. And so man, men of God, it requires that you be full of reconciliation, full of forgiveness, leading the way to make things right. In Colossians chapter three, it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord has forgiven you you know in Hebrews chapter 5 it says in verse 20 let's go to verse 25 it says husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her He loved and he forgave. He gave. He laid down his own expectations and desires. I love in James, it says, where do wars and quarrels and fights come from? It's one of my favorite scriptures. I have a lot of those, but it's one of the, it's on the list. Where do fights and quarrels and wars come from? It comes from having, you you want an expectation, having an expectation, a desire, and it's not fulfilled. Where do the fights and the quarrels and the wars in your family come from? Unmet expectations. You want something. And so really what has to happen is a laying down 
It's a laying down of your own desires, your own expectations. It's a laying down of what you want for the benefit of all. It doesn't mean that you won't ever get it. You might have a desire for something and you're like, God, I really want this. But notice Christ as their examples. He laid down his life. There was a restoration and a, and a fulfillment of those desires. Sometimes there has to be a temporary laying down for an eternal reward. Sometimes you have to lay things down because there's a, there's a longer lasting, eternal reward coming. And it says that he, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy without blemish. Husbands, when you forgive, you cleanse. When you forgive, you cleanse. The blemishes and the spots, you wash. Instead of the world seeing your spouse or your kids through their shame and the guilt and the blemishes that they carry, when you forgive them, the blemishes are washed away. When you say, that's okay, I forgive you the shame and the guilt that they carry gets washed away. When you forgive, you cleanse. So verse 28 says, Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I want to challenge every man that's maybe tuned in online or here in the building. God has called you to lead. He's called you to be the godly example for your home, in your church, in this community. I thank God we have godly men in our church. I, I thank God we have godly men in our church. I'm so thankful. And I'm going to challenge you men to not lead from the back row, as it were. Not that you're sitting in the back row. Some of you are. But not... Metaphorically speaking, do not lead from the back row, but to lead from the front. To take charge, to take leadership. I want to challenge you in this, and I'm going to wrap this up. Worship team, come on back. I, actually, I'm going to ask every man if you'll stand. I know I'm going to make you maybe a little uncomfortable here. I'm going to ask every man to stand, and then our worship team can come on back. If you are a male, you can stand. <laughs> We're not one of those churches that are undecided. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, there's, there's a lot of that out there these days. <laughs> you were given biological parts, as we know. Okay, anyway. Anyway, 
I got to wrap this up. <laughs> I got to wrap this up. You, listen, life happens. And you may not have had the best example of what spiritual leadership looks like. There, there may have, you, I'm sure, have faced setbacks along the way. I know for some of you, you've lost your fathers at, at a young age in various circumstances. I know others have had really hard home lives. I know others have had great experiences and have a very loving dad. Um, but I want to say to you that no matter what your experience is, that Christ leads the way for you today. That he leads the way for healing and restoration. If there's something that you're hanging on to, you know, we jokingly call it daddy issues around here, but if you got daddy issues, Jesus is really good at dealing with those. If you've had a great home life and you're, you're running the race, hey, Jesus is the author and the finisher. He's the captain of your salvation. Keep running. But I want to, more than anything, if I could summarize everything up into one pretty package today and give you one thing, it's this. Pursue Christ personally. That personal relationship with the Lord. Pursue Him personally. Don't expect your wife to do it for you. Don't allow the busyness of life to take that, that spot in your life. Press into God for yourself. Get, if you've not been in the word regularly, get back in the word. Even if it's just a verse a day, just get back in the word. If it's an audio Bible, get back in the word. Turn the worship music on, pray in the spirit. This is, it is absolutely vital for your spiritual well-being and for your families and for your churches and for this community. Your life, your spiritual well-being, listen, it's more, it is about you. And that is so important. But it's also all about the people that God's called you to lead. It's both. And people are watching your example. It's designed that way. God set it up that way. I know. It's frustrating sometimes, but he set it up that way because he knows that you have a tendency to be lazy and wouldn't do it otherwise. Sometimes we need the reminder that people are following and they're watching the example. I want us to pray again for all the men. Can we do that? And as we do that, I, I just, I feel uh, strongly led and pressed here to read Psalms 23 over all of you. I wouldn't, I don't think I've ever done this on a Father's Day. I don't think, I've, I, yeah, I've never, I've never read Psalms 23 on a Father's Day, but I think that this is so important. Ladies, can you just pray right where you're at for the men as we read this? Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness 
for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.